Hello, 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 everybody, wherever you may be. This is Atlanta Discuss, and I'm still your host, your boy, Ade Balogo. Today is another fantastic day. We have another fantastic guest, and we have a very, very juicy and interesting topic. Today, we are going to talk about how to deal with mental health with children in the COVID-19 era. So I have a fantastic guest. He's an educator, great guy. His name is Lawrence Gwen. Hello, Lawrence. Are you there? How you doing? Doing fine, are they? How are you? I'm doing great, man. Doing great. We're excited to have you here today. I'm glad to be here. Oh, fantastic. So, as you all know, at Atlanta Discourse, we embrace all facets of humanity to disseminate positive news in a world filled with a lot of bad news. We give a voice to the unheard always. We balance the information equation. We search and discuss the facts wherever it leads. We combine the best of the human race to get the best out of mankind. We serve as a bridge between the developing and the developed world. We embrace business, art, sports, IT, health, history, and faith-based issues, and we never shy away from the fact. That's what we do here. So like I said earlier on, we have Lawrence Gwen here. Lawrence has been an educator for over 30 years. He comes from a line of educators with a father who was a counselor and a math teacher and a minister at the same time. Wow, you have a fantastic heritage there, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his mother was also a uh, was is of was his first teacher at her home, just like for most of us. And uh, his desire to walk in his father's footsteps had to do with the impact he had on the lives of young people. So let me try and put it in his own word because I've read a lot of what he has written. He said, "As a child, I had the fortune of meeting some of the young people my father touched as I traveled around Savannah, Georgia, with my father. It will seem often." you know, to see some of his, uh, of his students when he goes around. And they will run up to him and tell him how, how much he had done for them. And I, I wanted that type of impact, you know, that really motivated him. He said this propelled him into a pursuit to merge his love for the written world, for the educative world, to, to start teaching. This preparation will result in a bachelor's degree in English from Mesa University, a master of education in the field of English education, from Georgia South, wow. And an educational specialist degree from the University of Iowa in curriculum and supervision. He began his teaching career in 1989 in Savannah, Georgia, teaching middle school. That will lead to a career in teaching for over 20 years, spanning fifth through 12th grade. He also saw an opportunity to advance and become an assistant principal. I was able to see that the needs of teachers and students from that different perspective. So uh, currently he has labeled in the field as an administration administrator rather in the last 15 years so listeners we have with us mr lawrence gwen hi you lawrence welcome to atlanta discos i am honored to be a part of the show today uh, and i just want to say i appreciate how you are elevating uh political discourse social discourse because we need uh level-headed people that can bring folks together and help us to appreciate and respect diverse opinions and so i just appreciate all that you're doing Thank you, Lawrence. That's most encouraging. So let's cut the chase, get the ground running, kick the ground running. You know, I know post-COVID, I would say post-COVID, we're still there. It's not gone yet. But yeah. we've had issues of mental cases with kids. I know you're a vice principal. You go through this every day. So we just want to ask you from your personal perspective, what's really happened? So what are the mental health needs of the youths of today? Well, uh, one of the major challenges that kids faced uh, was separation uh, from social interaction. Uh, 
kids were at home between 12 to 16 months. Uh, many parents were very conservative, like uh, like we were, and uh, there was no play dates, there were no visitations, uh, because we didn't know enough about the virus at that time. And so uh, you had solid blocks of time, uh, months at a time, when kids did not come in contact with uh, their friends physically. Now, of course, there was interaction through the computer, uh, but that was both good and bad. We'll talk about that later. But it's not the same as being able to be with that individual. And so um, one of the, the, to answer the question succinctly, um, the needs that our kids have are to develop a, uh, a reconnection to structure. That's one thing. Uh, because many of these kids were basically without structure for almost two years. Number two, um, there needs to be um, attention to some of the abuse that kids experienced. Uh, domestic violence went up, abuse went up during the pandemic. Unfortunately, in many homes, uh, these kids um, have brought a lot of anger, a lot of pain uh, back to uh, the school, back to the classroom, and in addition to that, there's a lot of anger, um, resentment, because social media was still um, going during this time. And unfortunately, as we see in normal times, uh, social media can be a trigger for a lot of bullying and a lot of uh, abuse, verbal abuse. And uh, there was a lot of baggage that kids were bringing back to the school. Uh, they had access to individuals with whom they were quarreling online, and that led to uh, conflict. And so I would say in a nutshell, the emotional damage that our kids experienced due to being separated, due to some family dysfunction that led to various forms of abuse, and also coming back together in an environment with people with whom there had been conflict online during the time that kids were out of school. Those are three big, huge needs um, that we experienced once kids uh, came back. Well, that's that's a lot. <laughs> that's oh, a yeah. lot. I'm, I'm, oh, I mean, I mean, they make a lot of sense, but it's like some of them are kind of new to me. I wouldn't think they'll lead to uh, mental issues with kids, but coming from the expat, we don't have a choice but to take note of it. So, but why is it essential for schools to address this need? What makes it so important then? Well, I think one of the, when I think back over my career um, and, and just thinking about how education has evolved, we were at one point in education focused on just numbers, focused on quantitative numbers. For research, everything was about numbers. And then around the 1970s, we began to have some people taking time, a big step back in saying that working with kids and academic achievement is about much more than just crunching numbers. There, there is something behind the numbers. There's something behind the achievement and it has nothing to do with stats. And that is what came to be known as the effective domain. And that is when we look at the emotional disposition of students 
when it comes to learning? You know, how do feelings, emotions, attitudes, how does all of that fit into their performance when given any type of instrument or any type of activity uh, to work on? And we sort of, as, as we went through history, we sort of, educational history, we kind of jumped from the emphasis on stats and statistics and numbers to the fact that kids need to be physically ready for school. They need to have food in their belly. They need to be healthy. They need to be strong mentally in terms of just the, the, uh, the basic needs. But we kind of, we, we sort of didn't get to the emotional part. We didn't get to the, the, the role that feelings and attitudes towards learning play in academic achievement until the 1970s. So that has become much more of a, a, a huge issue over the years uh, since the 1970s. Uh, there's been this, this tension and this competition with how much do we attend to test scores versus trying to identify uh, readiness? You know, kids need to be emotionally ready. They need to be, um, they, they need to be, have the opportunity to work through issues that they're dealing with outside of the school that can have tremendous impact on their ability to achieve on a test or on an assignment. And so the pandemic has actually taken the emphasis on the effective domain and put it on steroids because it is all about the emotional needs of the child that must be addressed in order for us to get right again. In order for us to get back where we need to be, we've got to focus on trying to get the, 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 the mindset and the emotional stability back for many of our kids. Even prior to the pandemic, in various communities, there was always a, a deficit in terms of the emotional stability of our children. One of the things that, and I don't want to get ahead of the questions, but one of the uh, truths that has come out of the pandemic is that we did not invest prior to the pandemic enough in helping to address the emotional needs, the psychological needs of our children. Yeah, and that because, yeah, sorry to interject, uh, Gwen. That's why I was going to ask you next, you know, that how are schools doing it currently? Are they handling it? So you can, you might as well answer that with what you're saying. Yes. So let's talk, let's talk about how it's been done on a macro level and then we'll kind of come down to the micro level. On no a problem. Macro, on a macro level, when you look at the United States and even be, beyond, one of the things that has been done in many school systems is that mental health professionals have actually set up, um, I I'll say set up residence in a portion of the physical school. And children who had emotional, psychological needs, they would be referred uh, by teachers, uh, by other individuals that worked in the school setting that, that recognized that there was a problem. And so that the, the names of those children would be recommended uh, and will be given to uh, those mental health professionals. Now, of course, the way it worked is that there was an agreement that had been previously set up between that school, whatever school district is using that model. There was a, an agreement between the school district and that mental health uh, faci facility uh, that uh, parents 
who were in agreement with their children being uh, assisted in that manner uh, could then tap into uh, Medicare or, or various uh, forms of government aid that would help pay for uh, these therapists and psychologists working with the children. And so that is a model that has been operational in our country for a long time. Now, um, sometimes, and I do say sometimes, sometimes in the South, we tend to come into, um, or we, we tend to activate things a little bit later than other parts of the country. And I'm happy, however, to say that whether it be because of the pandemic or not, we in the South have now um, begun to address uh, the mental health needs of children. And we were doing that prior, we had sort of started to do it prior to the pandemic um, locally, but the pandemic really pushed us into uh, a, a, a whole nother level. And so um, on a local level, you know, we now have in many schools, in every school actually, we have um, mental health, a mental wellness coordinator. And these coordinators are responsible not only for identifying uh, students who have emotional needs um, and providing assistance through bringing in people in, from, the, uh, from the community to talk to them, to encourage them, to counsel them uh, in a general way about issues that they may be facing. Um, but they also, these mental health coordinators also are attending to the needs of our teachers because our teachers have also suffered uh, a great deal in the last couple of years in terms of trying to manage uh, all that was going on, trying to manage their lives, trying to provide for the kids, trying to teach them uh, in very difficult ways uh, from distance, uh, from a distance. I mean, it's very challenging. And so many of our teachers have also experienced some emotional needs. So these mental wellness coordinators also uh, help uh, provide in-services for these teachers. Um, you know, we have locally, we have a, a coordinator that um, sometimes um, comes to the school and, and this person is over all the coordinators and she herself has led uh, in services on mental wellness and, and, and trying to help teachers um, recognize that sometimes they can be emotionally empty you know, because they don't take time to care for themselves. Uh, so there's an emphasis on self-care, which will inevitably help them to be more available for students. And so that is a movement that is going on locally. And um, I think that this only going to continue uh, as we uh, continue to experience the, uh, the, the, the effects of the pandemic. But that's, what's, that's kind of what's going on locally. Now we've always had counselors in our schools and our counselors and our social workers have, have been uh, always on the, on the wall. They've always been on the job. Um, I think that they probably feel more supported. Uh, I think that they feel like, you know, now there's an awareness, there's a, there's a realization that what they have always been trying to do in the counselor's office and in the social worker's office, it has now become recognized as something that needs to be systemic. You know, the supports are needed across the board, you know, and it is the emotional, it is the emotional, the psychological stability of our kids and our teachers that will have, uh, that will have the, the final say in terms of academic achievement. And now we're beginning to make that connection. 
Wow, that's awesome, man. That's a, that's a lot to digest and you know to go through. Oh, yeah. But there, we need to hear. It's a lot of work, man. You guys are doing a lot of work. You know, I like the fact that you also mentioned that teachers do suffer mental health issues too. Yeah. And uh, and they you realize that they can be vulnerable. They should agree that they are vulnerable. You know, because sometimes when you play the human tough man all the time, it doesn't solve the problem. You know, that's right. Man. We're human, yeah. We're human after all. That's so, right. what's good about what the schools are doing right now? And what needs to change? I mean, I don't think you guys are firing full throttle. I think there's there's room for improvement. What do you think? Always room for improvement. In fact, what what I was going to say is that I really look forward to a day when we will move to that macro model that is being done and, and has been done for a long time in many of our larger cities where we, we partner with mental health professionals who, uh, who, who basically, um, if not take up residence in the physical building uh, and, be, and be a resource for kids to be referred, uh, or at least they will be there on a regular basis. Uh, we, we really need to move to that model. Uh, what we're doing is good. But that is the, uh, in my opinion, that is the optimum model where health professionals or health, uh, health uh, professionals, mental health professionals are literally connected to the schools. Um, now, all children, all children struggle emotionally and psychologically, regardless of SES. But we would be fooling ourselves to say that we do not often see a disparity in those who struggle emotionally and psychologically in certain communities. Um, now, that's not, that's not always the fault of the system. Uh, another thing that needs to be better is that we've got to help our community, especially people in communities of color, we've got to help them understand that there is no shame in getting the emotional and the psychological help that you need. Um, you know, because Parents, many parents are working multiple jobs to try to take care of their children. And oftentimes you've got single parents who are working multiple jobs, trying to wear all the hats, taking care of the children, you know, bringing home the, the, the check, uh, doing everything. And they don't have anyone checking on them. And they are made to feel like they have to manage everything alone and that they just have to be tough. You know, we've, we, I think, uh, to, to take a little liberty, I think that oftentimes, uh, not all the time, but I think oftentimes uh, people uh, of color who are aware of the history that African-Americans and, uh, and, and other individuals, uh, minorities who have struggled to rise, um, sometimes we think that in some way we're going against the code to acknowledge that we need help. To acknowledge that we can't manage everything uh, and it leads to a lot of dysfunction within our community uh, because we we get to feel this false sense of uh, uh, invulnerability you know and and that ends up coming out in negative ways and it ends up hurting uh, us and hurting our families and our communities and so we've got to do a great deal to help uh, certain populations in particular understand that emotional psychological support is needed there's no shame in it and it can actually improve the quality of your life uh, it is wisdom it is strength to recognize that you need help and so 
how, however we can do that, we need to, to make a campaign uh, so that more people in, in certain communities will be open to get the emotional, psychological help that they need. Wow, absolutely. I agree with you 1 million percent. Now, now I, I mean, with all you've said so far, you didn't say anything about sports. You know, I know you're a soccer dad. So oh, yes. yeah, what, what, what role can sports play in all this? Oh, well, you know, here's, here's the irony. Um, as the during the pandemic, um, because we were aware that um, there was less risk outdoors uh, during the middle of the pandemic, uh, and I'm speaking about pretty much the last two years after about into year one, or you know, after the first year had passed, pretty much, uh, they slowly began opening up the sports uh, in terms of training. Um, and that was significant because it was the first time that kids were able to get together with other kids in what we believed to be a safer environment because they were out in the open air. And so uh, that was a testament right there uh, to the importance of athletics and how that can bring us together and create a sense of camaraderie and fellowship. And uh, that is something that is not um, not only important uh, at this time, but it's always been important uh, because we, we learn all kinds of important life skills through organized sports. And I will go further than that. And I would say that as far as our connections classes are concerned, and when we say connections, we're talking about music, we're talking about band, we're talking about art, we're talking about mass communication, we're talking about technology, different types of engineering classes. These type of experiences are so important in terms of helping children to feel good about certain interests that they have. For example, you might have kids that may not be the best math student, may not be the best language arts student, may not be the best science student, but there's just something about the computer. They, they really understand a lot about the computer and a mass communication class, which really puts the computer at the center point um, and talks about certain programs and platforms that these kids may be familiar with they can feel a sense of success and that improves your self-esteem that in, that improves your 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 mental wellness because you're feeling good about something as opposed to always feeling down because you didn't do very well on your ela test or on your math test or on your science test and so these classes that are beyond just the traditional academics are super super important and i put sports right up there with those because it is all about helping kids to identify talents and gifts that may not always be measured in a traditional way, in a, in a traditional classroom. And so that is super important, what you mentioned there. And so investing in those programs and, and expanding them even more is another thing that we can do uh, in order to help to improve the emotional wellness of our young people. Wow, that, that's the expert talking. We're still talking to Mr. Lawrence Gwen. He's been an educator <laughs> for 30 years. His father was an educator. And he told us that he saw how much his father impacted on other people. And when he goes around with his dad, everybody walks to meet his dad. Even as a young boy, they always tell him, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. And that motivated him. And he's been doing that for 30 years and he's never looked back. So we're still talking about how to deal with mental health too children you know so that's why we have mr gwen he's an expert in this area so interact with kids every day 
told us what the kids have suffered, been indoors for too long and all that, how to engage them. But let me put the last question. This is our last question. So let me put it sure. this way. What can, I mean, what should the, I was going to say the politicians, but I'll call them policy makers. So what do policy makers, what do you think they can do to support schools in meeting the mental health needs of our kids, our teachers, and every other person that needs it? What, what, I mean, they've tried, they're showing some effort, but what more do we need coming from a teacher's perspective? Well, I think one of the one of the uh, challenges that teachers face is having children in the same class with so many different levels of performance and achievement. And one of the things that is always helpful is to have personnel in the classroom who are trained to work with different levels of achievement, students with different levels of achievement. And so what I would say is that there needs to continue to be an expanded investment in uh, trained paraprofessionals who can be in the classroom with teachers so that they can help work with other students that need more attention. Um, that is something that happens now, but we don't have the amount, we don't have the number of personnel that's needed. Uh, we used to refer to these as teacher aides, but we're not talking about someone that just, you know, uh, passes out papers for the teacher. No, we're talking about someone who is trained to work with children uh, to help them in reading, to help them in math, whatever the subject matter may be. Um, you know, reading to them, uh, helping them interpret and understand content. Uh, we need we need more uh, paraprofessionals. And the word paraprofessional is just that. It is a professional who is able to be a secondary support in the classroom for teachers. And that can provide the opportunity for small group, uh, which is not easily done uh, with just one person, a lead teacher in the classroom. Uh, it can be done, but it is so much easier when you have uh, support. And so I would say that's important. Another reason why that same thing is important is that the pandemic has decimated not just, uh, you know, uh, the, the industries that we hear about on television, you know, fast food restaurants not being able to hire people, this, that, the other, but it has devastated the schoolhouse. We have lost so many people. It was almost impossible for us to get just substitute teachers uh, during the last two years. And I understand people are concerned. People were scared. They were worried. They didn't, they didn't know what was going on. Now, I, I get that. But we are now coming out of COVID. We're not out of it completely, but we're coming out of it. And there needs to be a huge investment in uh, getting uh, those positions filled by people who are trained to help support the teacher working with kids with varying levels of abilities in class. So that's one thing, putting more money into the pockets of paraprofessionals and getting them to come back to the schoolhouse so that they can help uh, teachers with uh, the children that they're, fa they're dealing with. Because whereas the problem always existed where there was a difference in terms of abilities within the classroom, because of the amount of, of, of time that we have lost and the skill levels have, have deteriorated, 
uh, because they have not been in the school the last two years. Uh, it, th that's even more of a need for more personnel uh, to get in the classroom to assist teachers, uh, to help work with kids. And so that would be a huge thing, pouring more money into the, uh, the, the, the amount of money that they're paying paraprofessionals uh, to work with teachers. So that's one thing. Um, in terms of another area uh, where we need help, hiring more teachers who are highly qualified is important also, because what we can do is bring down our class numbers. And if you bring down your class numbers, even if we don't get the additional professional help that we need, it will make things better. Because you bring your numbers down, that allows the lead teacher to be able to do more with kids. And so hiring more teachers and paying them more, because we need to be in different places in Georgia has have different pay scales. And in the Atlanta metropolitan area, the southern part of the metro is improving and has improved greatly in terms of what they pay teachers, but it is still not comparable with the northern uh, uh, cities in the Atlanta metropolitan area. And so you've got to have parity. You've got to get people on the southern part of the, the, the metropolitan area uh, getting paid in a similar way in order to keep good teachers and to attract good teachers. And so that's another thing that, that they need to do. And I know that at this point in time, this is a, a this is a political year. And I hope that uh, that they're operating in good faith. But they're talking about uh, increasing the amount of pay, you know, for teachers. Um, and I hope that that will last beyond this political year. Uh, but that is the direction we need to go in because we've got to bring highly qualified teachers into the classroom. And we've got to stop the bleeding because we have lost, there are so many good teachers who have retired in the last two years because of the stress and the struggle uh, of the pandemic. And, and I totally get it, but we've got to replace those people uh, or attract them back, you know, by giving more incentives. And uh, I think that uh, on local levels, there are a variety of ideas being tossed around. You know, uh, one idea that uh, I was recently made aware of was um, allowing teachers to have comp time where they, they, they come in and work uh, on certain days and for, for a certain number of days that they work, they can eventually have additional time off uh, at a certain time and during a certain window of time. And so uh, the idea is to help to enhance the emotional and the psych psychological uh, wellness of teachers, um, to have them be more invested in what they are doing for kids, you know, and, and to get paid for their, their professionalism, you know, and, and their knowledge and, and their implementation. And so those are two major areas, you know, we've got to get more highly qualified teachers to bring down class sizes. We need to get additional paraprofessionals who are trained into the classroom to help address the variety of ability levels and to assist the lead teachers in, in, in trying to provide a, a quality education for our students. Now, wow. uh, we, you know, that those are two specifics. You know, we could talk about the, the normal conversation about, um, you know, infrastructure improvement, which needs to happen. I mean, that's happening on a national scale. 
uh, but it's got to trickle down because we've got a lot of stu- uh, schools that are crumbling. And so that's another important thing that we need to do because when a child looks at a school that they go that they go into school in and, 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 and there are holes in the wall and cracks in the floor and the place is falling down and you know we, we've got a crisis in terms of our schools. And then they get on a bus and go to another school in another community and that school looks like Beverly Hills, you know, and, and what, what does that do to how they see themselves? So that's a whole nother level. But we've got to invest in infrastructure, but specifically what I talked about earlier with those professionals and also um, bringing down class sizes. Wow, wow, wow. Well, I don't think anybody can add any more to all you've said. You said it all. <laughs> I've been talking to Lawrence Gwen, my good friend, an educator for over 30 years. Great dad, great dad, great dad, great good family man to the end. You know, uh, I like what you said. The politicians, the policymakers should spend more on our teachers. They should make teaching attractive. Yeah, it's yes. so, so important. Yeah. If you don't make it attractive, you know, because like you said, I've, I've read about teachers in Oklahoma, uh, yeah, Oklahoma, that some of them have two, three jobs. That's not nice, you know, for a teacher. No, well, no. Yeah, that's not good. That's not good. So that's a wrap. We'll call it a wrap. You know, it's done. Atlantic discussed fantastic topic, mental health with children. Lawrence Gwen did fantastic justice to it. Like, you know, at Atlantic Discuss, we always give a voice to the unheard. We balance the information equation. We search and discuss the facts wherever I lead. We combine the best of the human race to get the best out of mankind. We serve as a bridge between the developing and the developed world. We embrace business, art, sport, IT, health, history, and faith-based issues. We never shy away from the fact. Lawrence, thank you for coming to Atlantic Discuss. Thank you so, so much. Thank you thank so you. much. I appreciate it. Take all care. right, listeners. Yeah, we call it a wrap. That's all for today. Next week, we're going to come to you with another very juicy topic again. So I'm still your boy, Ade. See you next week. Take care. God bless you all. Bye.